Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Hey, before we jump in today, let's, let's pray and prepare our hearts to receive from God today. Jesus, we just love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace towards us. And God, we, 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 we pray that as we con- continue the sermon series today, summer road trip through the Bible, that you would prepare us to receive what you want us to receive today. God, we need to hear from you. I pray for each heart here that they would be open to receive from you today. Give, give me guidance and wisdom today as I declare God's word. God, and we also pray for the Jacksonville Jaguars players, keep them safe during the off season as they train and prepare in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. We are a Jacksonville Jaguars church here. If you don't like the Jaguars, there is a place up here at the altar for you to repent later. Um, but have you ever started a one-year Bible reading plan? Have, have you ever attempted to read the Bible in one year? And we start off with such good intentions. I mean, we start off with a sincere desire to get through God's word in one year. So we typically start January 1, new year, new schedule, new, new discipline. So you, you, know, you start in January 1st, you start to read the Bible, starting in Genesis, and, and you, you encounter uh, Adam and Eve creation, Noah, Abraham, and then, and then Genesis gets a little funky. Genesis turns into this like Jerry Springer, Maury Povich show. Everyone's sleeping with this person. People are sleeping with that person. It just gets into a lot of just like weirdness. Um, it's like, why did God do that? Why did God say that? Why did God's people do that, say that? Just a bunch of just like weird stuff. And then you get into the book of Exodus. Moses comes on the scene here. He's trying to, he's trying to get God's, God's people, the Israelites, out of slavery. Exodus is kind of the whole story of that process happening. And once you get through Exodus, pretty much in your Bible plan, you're struggling. Let's just be honest. Once you hit Leviticus, you're like, well, this Bible reading plan was fun. I'll try again next year, right? It's like, uh, why is God saying this sort of stuff? Le- Le- Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they are the next three books in this process. And if you have ever read through, through those, you know that there's just a lot of unique things in there. God saying a bunch of do's and, and don'ts, senses being taken, who's, who's in this clan, in that tribe, and you're just like, why in the heck do, do, do I need to know this stuff? Like, if this is God's word, like, why do I need to know how many people were in the tribe of Levi in 1400 BC, right? And, and you're just like, why? But that's where I think, whenever we come to these 
books of the Bible that we're not sure what we're actually getting out of them, why God even put them in the canon of Scripture, we, we've got to, to trust that 2 Timothy 3 is true. And 2 Timothy 3 tells us this, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Everyone say useful. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good Work. So we've got to trust if it's in the Bible, it's useful. But I don't know about you. There's some parts of Scripture that seem a little more useful to me. And there's some that just seem a little useless. I'm like, why do I need to know that? But we have to understand all of Scripture wants to teach us, train us, and show us God's way. But ultimately, it wants to show us what God's like. So what does, what does God show us in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Well, I think if we interpret any part of Scripture, the most important part that we have to really, really get is this word, context. Everyone say, context. We have to see that the Bible has a story, and within that story, story, there is a certain con context that takes place with each scripture and with each book of the Bible. And if we try to interpret scripture, what scripture is telling us, without applying context to it, we will miss the whole point. What I always say is, is this. I say this quote whenever I'm talking about context because I think it really gives us, it breaks down to us how important this is. It says this, a text with no context, a biblical text with no context is a pretext for a proof text. You're welcome, okay? You just, you just went to seminary, okay? A text with no context is a pretext for a proof text. What does that simply tell us? It means this. If you take any scripture out of the Bible and take it out of its book and context, and, you know, whether it's out of the context of the book of the Bible it's written in or the context of scripture as, 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 as a complete whole, you have the possibility of getting it wrong, right? Some people say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And some people take that verse as being well, if I just say that verse, I'll be able to do things that I would not typically be able to do. I could say that verse a million times. I'm never going to be a great NFL quarterback. I'm never going to be an NFL quarterback. Why? Because I'm a 5'10 white boy that the runs a 6'7'40 and weighs 180 pounds and doesn't have a good arm. I could say that verse 100 times, but I'm not getting into the... NFL. But people take that verse and try to say, well, if I just say it, then I'll be able to do things that I wouldn't normally be able to, to do. No, the context of that scripture is that Paul was saying this. Look, whatever God gives me, he said this, I know what, what it is to have a whole lot, and I know what it is to have nothing. He said, I have learned the secret of being content in each and every circumstance, well-fed, hungry, whatever. I can do all things through Christ. The context there was Paul saying, whatever God gives me, I can handle it. It wasn't saying, well, you know, I can do whatever. I know it was whatever God gives me, I can handle it. And it's so important, especially as, as we get into these books, Leviticus, Numbers, and 
Deuteronomy, a stuttering person, that's a hard, hard, hard word there. Deuteronomy, be gracious with me. Deuteronomy, whenever we get into those books, we have to make sure we take it in context and know the context of Scripture and the context of a book. So we're going to actually practice this. So we're, we're going to actually do a practice session with this whole concept of context. Okay, We're going to take Leviticus 19.28. It says this. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I'm the Lord, right? So we've had people, I've had people come up to me and tell me, if you have a tattoo, you're in sin. And, and this is what they quote. Leviticus 19.28. They say, well, it says in the Bible, Leviticus 19.28, you shouldn't have tattoos. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to school this guy, right? So it's, it's, it's like, so if, if, if you were to take this scripture and just pull it out of its context, you are right, it would say this. But you have to keep it in the context of the book of the Bible, and you've got to ask important questions like, who was this written to? Why was this written to him? When, when was this written to him? Is this written to all people at all times in all circumstances, or was it just written to a certain people group at, at a certain time for a certain purpose. So we're going to dig in right now to this whole context of God saying this, but we also have to dig into the context of it. So what is the context of this verse right here? What is the context of Leviticus 19, 28? I'm going to read it to you so I, so I do not mess it up. God chose the nation of Israel to be his people. We saw this um, in Genesis. Dwayne, Dwayne talked uh, about it a couple weeks back. Abraham. God chose Abraham to start a brand new nation that would essentially be the representation of who God is and what God's like and speak to the whole world saying this is what God's, this is what God's like. But God chose the nation of Israel to be his people, not because they were better, but because God wanted a people to show himself through. This began with the call to Abraham. And from Abraham, he was going to build a people group, a nation that was to bless the world. But the problem was, even though the Israelites were many, they were in slavery in Egypt. So he raised up Moses to lead them out. But this was a tough task as Moses found out. He found out that you can take people out of slavery but not get the slavery out of people. That even though he was leading them to freedom, they still had the mindset of slavery. So God knew that if he, that if he was going to get the Israelites to know what it meant and what it was like to be the people of God among these neighboring godless nations, he had to tell them and show them specifically what like. And that's, or, and, or, so he told Moses, what that would able to stand out from these other and be a blessing to them. And he said, one of the ways that you'll be able to stand out from these other nations is to not mark your bodies with tattoos like these other nations do that do not know me. So what was the point? The point and the, the point of the command was for them to help them be able to stick out among the other nations. So basically, God was saying to them, look, 
these other godless nations, they all mark their bodies. So I'm going to challenge you to not mark your body because I don't want you to be like them. I am trying to raise up a different people that live a different way, that shout to the world around them, this is who I am and what I'm like. Now, back in the Old Testament, God worked through a people group, Israel. We're not under the Old Testament no more. Testament simply means covenant. We are not under the old covenant no more. We are under the new covenant where, where now God shows himself not through a country, but God shows himself through the church. Do you know that people know, will, will know who God is and what God's like through us? So, okay, this, this scripture here, was this a command that God gave for all people at all times? saying you can never have tattoos? Or was he specifically speaking to the people in Israel, challenging them to stand out? It was Israel. We don't see any other place throughout Scripture that God said, thou shalt not get tattoos. Okay, actually in Revelation 19.6, when, whenever it's talking about the end times and Jesus coming back, it talks about Jesus having written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Will Jesus have a tattoo? I don't know. But it does say in Revelation 19.6 that he's going to have written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. So you can interpret that the way you want to interpret it. I think Jesus is going to have a tat, okay? That's what I think. Basically saying this is who I am, what I'm going to do, and, and I'm going to come and take over. So I, this scripture is not saying you can't have tats. This is simply saying to the specific nation of, of Israel, to them, do not mark your bodies. Why? Because I want you to stick out. And this is what we've got to see here. God was raising up a people group that honestly did not know anything about what it meant to be the people of God. So God had to be extremely specific in saying, this is what it means to follow God. So he gave them guidelines for how to actually worship. He gave them guidelines for their diet, clothing, relationships, marriage, leadership, government, how to handle the poor, how to support worship in the temple, what sins required, what kinds of, of sacrifice. He gave them civil laws to help them set up a judicial system, ceremonial laws to help them know how to approach God and come into his presence, and moral laws to help them know what the heck was right and wrong. And where do we see all of this stuff? Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God is laying out to his people, this is what it means to be the people of God. Why? Because they had no clue. They were coming out of slavery into being free people. And he was saying, I need to organize this. I need to let them know and see the detail of what it means to be the people of God. That is the context here. So we can see why God gave so many do's and so many don'ts, why God gave so many weird commands because he was trying to get a people to, to, to see what it means to be the people of God. But if, if, if we're not careful, we will see the Bible as just being a list of rules, right? Like we, we have got to, to, to see here, you know, because we can, we can easily, if you were raised in a really 
legalistic church. And it was all about what you can't do. And all about this is wrong and that's wrong. Then, then you will attach God to just being a, a, some kind of like rule keeper, having a scorecard over you. It's like, oh, if, if you do enough good, then God will actually love you. you know? But at the same, same time, like we can't see God as just being about rules. What I see in the Bible is that the first point of, of, of the Bible is God revealing himself to us. The, theologians break down God revealing himself into two different categories. The first off is natural revelation. And really, we can say natural revelation is nature. I mean, you know, I don't know, but even without the Bible, we can look up and we can see, holy mess, this didn't just happen. These stars weren't just put here. This earth did not just happen. Um, these planets were just put here. Our solar system wasn't just put here. These laws of gravity needed a legislator. Like all of these laws that, that, that govern us, someone, somebody had to be intelligent to think about and plan this and set this whole thing up. You can't look at a person's body and not say, as scripture says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, you can see, I mean, just how our bodies are intricately put together. It's, I mean, I don't know how anyone could just say that just happened in the beginning, bang. Instead of in the beginning, God, we can see in natural revelation how God has revealed himself to us. But then theologians also dive into a term called special revelation, where God specially reveals himself in certain, in certain ways. And one of those ways is in the Bible, that we see God is, more, is most, it, the most important thing to God through the Bible isn't to give you rules. The most important thing is, is to reveal to you who God is and what God is like. He wants relationship. How can you be in relationship with somebody if you don't know what they are like? And that's what the Bible is. It's shouting at you. It's God shouting at you. This is how I am like. This is what I reward. This is who I am. This is how a relationship can work. See, here's, here's the thing. Re, religion is all about rules. Relationship is all about love. And what we see first off, what I believe in the Bible is this fact. God wants to reveal himself to you. Is there guidelines and rules? Absolutely. Any good relationship, there's going to be guidelines. If you don't believe that, you must not be married. Flat out. If, like, if, if you are in relationship, if you are in a marriage relationship, try living that relationship without any guidelines. Good luck. It's called divorce, right? I mean, there are certain things I know that if in my wife that I am learning and consistently learning, that there are guidelines that will help our relationship get better and that will help our relationship function. Well, in the same way, what we see in, in Scripture is, it's, is it starts off with God revealing himself and then giving guidelines to say, hey, look, this is how your relationship with, with, with myself will flourish and function in a God-honoring way. So we can see this. In Scripture, relationship is first. And rules and guidelines, rules 
requirements that make the relationship work. It's not rules first, and if you keep the rules, then, then, and, and then you get relationship. That is called religion, which says that is you getting to God because of what you do, but, but we don't see that in the Bible. We see God comes after us regardless of what we do. He wants relationship with us. So, even though not everything in these books apply to us, there are some things that just apply specifically to Israel that will never apply to us personally. We can see things about God and what God's like in, in these three books that are, you know, kind of just like crazy, but at the same time, we see snippets and tidbits and characteristics of what God is and what God's like in these books. And I just want to briefly share with you three of them. First off, we see the law shows us that there is a connection between blessing and obedience. The law shows us that there is a direct connection. What we see in these three books is that there's a connection between blessing and our obedience to God. In these books, you will find Israel going on a journey to, to freedom, into the promised land that God gave them. They go on a 40-year journey that should have been two weeks. They go on a 40-year journey that literally should have taken them two weeks. If they would have obeyed God and did what God told them to do, they would have been in the promised land that God gave them generously in two weeks, but they consistently disobeyed God. God told them, take the land, go for it. And you know what? They were like, oh, do you know, God, I, you know, I don't know. Let's send some spies over to see what it looks like. So they sent 12, 12 spies and 10 of them came back and they said, the land doesn't look good. We're going to get killed. They got giants there. We're going to get jacked, jacked up. No, we're not going. So they continually dis, dis, disobeyed God. But it was clear that God told them, look, if you obey me, there is a blessing that comes with obedience. And I, and I think any person that has kids, this will actually resonate with you. There is a blessing that comes to your children when they obey you. Why? Because honestly, you know better. Like you are trying to lead them in, in, in the right way. And it's going to be hard for you to want to bless your kids if they're not obeying what you're saying. Why? Because ultimately you want blessing for them. But at the same time, they, they've got to understand you're in charge, what you say goes. And, and here's the thing. God laid it out to them in, Deuter in Deuteronomy 30. I think it's Deuteronomy 30, isn't it? Yeah, Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 18. Moses said this. He says, see, I set before you today, and he's speaking to Israel. I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to his commands and decrees and laws. Then you will live in increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live in the long, you will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. God was clear to them. There was a blessing connected to obedience. And what we find, even in the New Testament, is this same principle carries over, where, where we can actually see as a thread throughout Scripture, is there is a blessing to us obeying God. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, this is Paul writing to a church he planted. 
He said this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, please God, from that spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What we see here is pretty much the same thing Moses said. What we see Paul here saying, though, is, look, three things. You will always reap what you sow. Always. You'll always reap more than you sow. And thirdly, you'll always reap later than you sow. This is an eternal principle that we find throughout Scripture. Now, for some of, uh, for some of you here, this is a great encouragement because you've been sowing the right seeds. You've been acting in integrity. You have been giving generously. You've been serving selflessly. You've taken the high road. You've acted with integrity. And you are at times saying like, God, when am I going to reap this harvest that I'm sowing? The encouragement to you today is you will always reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. You will always reap what you sow. But do you know what? You'll also reap more than you sow. Do you know what though? You'll also reap later than you sow. So even though you can't see the fruit of what you have been sowing does not mean that at the right time you will see it happen. Verse number nine here says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the what? Appointed time. We will reap a harvest if we do not what? Give up. Maybe you're here today and you've been sowing the right seeds. You've been doing the good stuff, the right stuff. You've been honoring God. And you're like, God, when am I going to start reaping some of the stuff that I'm sowing? The promise to you, to, to you today is do not become weary in doing good for at the appointed time, at God's time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Now, for some people here today, that is a warning. Because some of you here, you, you haven't been sowing the right stuff. And you've kind of just, just been kind of going on, on this whole well, you know, I haven't seen any consequences yet. I'm still, I'm still good. I'm still blessed. I'm still healthy. I'm, I'm still whole. I'm still good. But the truth still remains. You will always reap what you sow. You will always reap more than you sow, and you'll always reap later than you sow. You know, you might not reap in this life. It, it might be eternally. But just because we aren't seeing consequences, just because we aren't seeing byproducts right now does not mean it's not going to actually happen. So if you're sowing good seeds today, keep on keeping on. If you're sowing bad seeds today and you know what those are, you, <laughs> this should be a warning to you. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow later and more. This is an eternal principle that we see in these books and that we see continued throughout Scripture is that God blesses obedience. Secondly, we see the law shows us there is no compartmentalizing our faith. I mean, the kind of stuff that Moses wrote down in this, I mean, you know, like I said about clothing, and food choices, and relationships, and sexuality. It, it really shows that God is concerned about all of us. Like, God is not into us giving a part to him, and then being like, God, I'm good. God is not into us compartmentalized, because what we like to do is, in our lives, we like to have different boxes. 
So we, we got our nice little Jesus box. You know, we got, you know, we come on Sundays, get our worship music, getting ready in the morning, put on your praise. You know, and you got your Jesus box that you kind of go in there and get into every, every once in a while. And then you got your nighttime box. You know, weekend box. Then you've got your finance box. Then you've got your relationship box. And then you've got your family box. You got your fun box. And you got all of these different boxes that kind of like Jesus gets set off where Jesus is a certain time of the, you know, week, or Jesus is a certain time of the day. Well, and I mean, really, what, you know, what we see here and what we see throughout Scripture, God does not want to be a box. He wants to be the box. He wants to be the box that all of your other boxes get, get, get put into to where we don't live saying, I'm going to meet with here, here, here. No, it is an all-encompassing all thing. Moses actually said this in Deuteronomy 6, whenever he was teaching the Israelites what God requires. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Then he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Jesus in, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus actually re-said this. He actually quoted Deuteronomy. He said this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered. This is this, and he actually quotes Deuteronomy 6. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. If you were to boil Christianity down to two things, two statements, it would be this, love God and love people. Love God and love people. You want to keep it simple? Love God and love people. That's a simple statement, but an all-of-life encompassing statement. Where it, He wants your heart. He wants your affections, your desires, he, his heart, your mind. He wants your thoughts, your visions, your dreams, what you think about daily. He wants your soul, that unseen part of you, the, the if it's healthy, is life-giving, if it's contaminated, will suck the life out of you. He wants your, your strength. He wants the breath in your lungs. He wants every, every second of your life, work, play, fun. God is not interested in being an add-on in your life. He's either the center or he's nothing. One of the things we have to be careful about in our culture, because we live in a consumeristic, what are we going to add to our lives to make us healthy and better? One of the downsides of that culture is we will look at Jesus as being an add-on and saying, hey, Jesus, what can you add to my life? Can you give me a little bit of peace? Can you give me a little bit of hope? Can you give me a little bit of love? 
Can you give me a little bit of joy? And Jesus wants to do all of those things, but he can't do it only as being an add-on. Jesus was never designed to be an add-on. Jesus was designed to be the center. When, when Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, he was saying, I want all of you. Why? Because when you give yourself all to him, you get all of him. It's a trade. You say, God, I'm giving all of me for all of you. And that's about as lopsided trade as you can get. We can't compartmentalize, y'all. What these, you know, three books show us, but what we see throughout Scripture is God is not interested in part of you, a quarter of you, three quarters of you, parts of your life. God is interested in all of you. Lastly, though, and, and I think what we, what we see more importantly is that the law, these three books, point us to Jesus and the gospel. You know, there was written in these books, and you've probably heard this and seen this, about a sacrificial system that was set up by God to basically atone for sin. So there would be a bunch of different sacrifices that would have to, to, to be made burnt offerings. They'd have to take a cow, a bull, a ram, goats, birds. PETA obviously was not around then. Okay, that was a lot funnier in the first service. <laughs> but, um, you know, where, where basically there was this sacrificial system to where if you wanted to have your sins covered, if you wanted to atone for your sins, you would have to go out and purchase a certain animal, give it to the priest, and have the priest go on behalf of you, slaughter this animal, and take the blood and put it on the altar that that would atone for and cover your sin. I mean, imagine being a priest back in that day. It's all about the blood. I mean, blood all over the place. Priests, though, they had a firsthand account and a firsthand relationship with what the price of sin was. I mean, they had a bunch of different sin offerings. And I mean, they had grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, trespass offering, tithe offering. I mean, it was, it was all about atoning for your wrongdoings. And it was through the sacrifice of animals. But what, what we ultimately see that all of that stuff points to all of those sacrifices lead to and point to and shout at and show us what that points towards is the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus died on the cross for us and shed his blood, not to just cover our sin, but to wash us clean, white as snow from our sin. In the first service, I, don't, I, just, I just straight busted out in song. One of my favorite songs is what can wash? Sing it with me. My sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, I, I can't get that high. Oh, precious is the flow that 
makes us white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of of the whole world? John the Baptist, whenever he saw Jesus, John the Baptist quoted, he said, hey, everyone, look, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Do you know what they were referring to? The sacrificial system in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was pointing right back to that, saying, look, this, these sacrifices that we do just to atone and cover up sin, when this guy dies and sheds his blood, he's not only going to cover them up, he's going to wash them clean, but not just for, for a specific people group, Israel. He's going to clean the sins, take away the sins of the whole world. You can shout to that. You can get happy about that. I think we should. What, what this sacrificial system points to is the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ today. That when we were yet sinners and we were all lawbreakers, and the penalty of sin was death, physical death. But what we see, Matthew chapter 5, 17, 18, Jesus said this about himself. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And do you know why everything in, in this law is now accomplished? Not because you did it, but because Jesus did it. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He fulfilled every jot and tittle. He did every detail of the law that you could not do. He did what you could not do and took the penalty of that law that you should have gotten, which was penalty of death. Jesus obeyed the law fully, yet took the penalty that the law required for you. And that's what we see on the cross of Jesus Christ. We see perfectly displayed what the penalty of the law was, and that was bloodshed. But on the cross, we also see what grace, what love, what forgiveness, and what the gospel looks like. That when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My prayer at this church, and even in each person's individual lives here, that when we hear the sweet message and song of the gospel, that we were sinners, we're great sinners, but God's a great savior, that when we hear that, we would never look at it as being old news. We would never look at it as, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross. Let's move on to something more spiritual. Y'all, it's, it's all about the cross. It's all about the gospel. That is our starting point where everything flows from is that we had broken God's law. We deserve death. Jesus came and lived a life we could not live, a perfect life, and died the death we should have died in our place to, to not just cover our sins, but to take our sins away. And that's what this law shows us in Galatians 
I love what this says. This was Paul writing to Jewish people, trying to get them to see Jesus is the point of the law. The law points towards him. The the Old Testament as a whole points towards this coming Jesus, this coming Savior. And Paul here says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And what was the curse? It was death. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hung on a pole. And, and right there, he's actually quoting the book of Psalm. And he's saying, curse, yeah, people are, if they're hung, they're cursed. But Christ became your curse so you wouldn't be cursed. That's the gospel, church family. That's, that is the gospel life. And what we see in these three books that we would not want to read in our Bible reading plan because they're so crazy, boring, whatever. I hope you can see now these books point towards the fact of Jesus. They point towards him. They are, they, they are simply shadows of what Jesus accomplished. These scriptures, these books are useful and helpful to us. They help us see the connection between obedience and blessing. They help us see we cannot compartmentalize our faith and they help us see the gospel even more clearly. Let's, let's pray, church. God, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. And God, right now, as, as we prepare to remember your sacrifice by partaking in communion, we ask, God, that you would once again make the gospel fresh to us our hearts, our minds, our souls, and spirits. Help us to see your word as being useful. That God, even though there's things that might not specifically apply to us, God, we can, we can check out the context and we can see that, God, it is useful that you are speaking to us. You are showing us things about who you are and what you're like. And God, I pray for each person, each heart here, God, that has, that has never made a decision to follow you. I pray right now that you would guide them and you would lead them. Really, really quick, with every head bowed, every, every eye closed, you know, Scripture tells us plainly that before we take communion, that we're all to do this, examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. That basically, before we take communion and take the bread and take the cup, that we are to examine our lives and see where we're at. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now you need to forgive. Maybe there is something in your life that you know is consistently holding you back and you want to repent today. Maybe there is... Maybe you have a deep relationship hurt, a deep relationship struggle. You know your husband. You know y'all are struggling. Husbands are struggling with your wives and you're it's really weighing you down and bearing you down and you know there's something that you need to do to make it right. It's moments like this, it's times like this that before we do communion, we say, God, I'm not only sorry, but give me the strength to actually act it out after I pray about it and get it right. But also though, you might be here today and you've never crossed the line of faith. You've never made a decision to follow Christ or You've walked away from God, and today you want to come back. Before we take communion together, I just want to give you the opportunity quickly to get your heart and life right with God. What we're going to do is we're just going to pray together really, really quick, and I'm just going to ask everyone here to join in with us. And I believe this. If you pray this prayer with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I believe that God will touch your life and that God will give you a fresh start, a brand new start 
today. And, and, at, and right after that, we're going to partake in, in communion and celebrate the broken body and shed blood of Jesus that redeemed us from the curse of the law, which was death, in this, and celebrate the fact that Jesus gave us life. If that is you today and you want to receive Jesus for the first time, we're going to pray together. I'm, I'm going to ask everybody to join to join in and repeat after me this, this prayer. Ready? Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin. I receive forgiveness today. I receive love today. I receive hope today. Jesus, thank you for living the life that I could not live and dying the death I should have died for my sin. I receive you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Lifehouse fam, can we just give it up really quick for anyone that said that prayer today for the first time? Listen, if you didn't say that prayer today for the first time or, or you're coming back to, to God, you should have received a card coming in, a you card. If you would just take that card and fill it out briefly for us, right on the back, it says, my life was changed by Jesus today for the first time. If you would just check that box and turn it into us, whether it's in the offering bucket after service or, or out at the Next Steps booth, we, we want to quickly connect with you, give you a Bible and help you along this brand new journey of following Jesus Christ. Can we all stand up, Lifehouse? We're, we're going to partake of communion together really, really quick, and then we're going to go back into a, a quick time of worship. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took, he, he took bread and broke it, and, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. First off, does anybody need communion elements here? Got a couple people here. One, one right there, a couple back there. We're going to hold off. We're going to wait. Just to make sure everyone's got some here. I apologize. I should have done, done that first. Want to make sure everyone's got, got what they need. Anyone else? Everybody, everybody's great. He, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we do right now. Whenever we eat this bread, we remember the broken body of Jesus that was broken so we could be made whole. That's what this simply tells us, is Jesus was broken for our wholeness. God, we love you. We celebrate today the fact that we can be made whole. In the name of Jesus, I pray for every broken part of people's lives, sickness, disease, hurt. We thank you that in the name of Jesus, there's power and wholeness. And we declare that today. Thank you that you were broken so we could be made whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let us partake together. On that same night, Jesus, he took the cup and Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. When we drink this cup, it's simply 
points us almost right back to the sacrificial system while at the same time that points us right back to Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, shed his blood for our sins. Scripture tells us this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I am grateful and thankful that Jesus did what I couldn't and earned for us life, abundant life here and eternal life forever. So Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We do this today remembering you, your sacrifice, your bloodshed. God, we love you. Thank you. Amen. Strength together. Let's worship life house. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.